0: You through Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Welcome once again to Freedom Bible Church. My name is Joel, I'm the pastor here. Um, If you're a guest here, we want to welcome you. Uh, We have our guest cards on the back table as you're leaving. If you wouldn't mind, just fill out that card every week. I send out an email, and you can get updated on what's going on in the church if you'd like to get on that email list fill out that guest card, put your email address on there, just drop it in the basket, uh, or the box in the back there. Um, We'd love to get connected with you. I want to apologize to everybody, or maybe this is a blessing for you. This is a gift for you. I have to leave as soon as we're done today. I have a flight at 1230, and so I've got to go to Chicago, do some uh, training for a couple days there, so uh, I'm just going to be a little bit rude, but really, trust me, it's better if you don't have to talk to me so it's, it's my gift for you today. apologize for that um, yeah no no everybody else please stay if you've got um, need prayer or anything you know Josh wall is our, our elder here he can talk with you any like anybody from the church is glad to talk to anybody today. please stay as long as, as someone will listen to you just please uh, feel free to stay. A couple things going on in our in our church life. Um, we're all about making disciples who know Jesus, follow Jesus, serve Jesus, and obey Jesus. That's what we see disciples living like, imitating Jesus that way. And we believe in reaching out to people the way that Jesus did. Coming up on August the 15th, it's in, uh, on the, the back of your program, we have a, a Clothe the Kid outreach ministry that we're doing on the 22nd and we'll have some more details. I'll send out an email early this week about signing up to come and help serve that day. But in preparation for that, a week before that, two weeks from yesterday on the 15th, we're going to have a prayer and training day where we're going to come and we're going to pray for all the different families that we get to bless by giving school clothes to them, back-to-school clothes for these families. We're partnering with Love, Inc. and Providence E-Free Church together to do that for these families. We're also going to be providing a food box for each of these families. We're going to be getting those through the food bank so we can bless the food bank, bless the people. Those food boxes are going to be about $15 each. So we'll let different families from our church sign up to sponsor uh, one or two, or if you want to sponsor several families, by buying these food boxes for them. So we're going to be giving away the clothes and the food boxes on the 22nd. On the 15th, when we pray together, we're also going to work on writing out our testimonies to put in the food boxes to give to the different folks who come to get their, um, get their clothes and get their, their foods. Because of all the nonsense going on in our world today, we're trying to be respectful, and so we're not going to have the picnic like we did before, but we still want to have an impact with the message and the gospel of Jesus. And so that's where we're trying to make the best of it, and that's what we're going to do. So we invite everybody to come out on the 15th as we pray, pray and prepare. Everybody gets to put their story and, and tell somebody by putting it in their food box. Uh, we'll have more details on that. Stay tuned for an email uh, early this week about that. Um, we want to spend some time praying together. Do we have different prayer needs in our church body that we can share with each other? I know Christine is working in the nursery, but sent out um, earlier this week a prayer request for her niece, Meredith, who has a tumor in her brain, um, you guys' cousin. And right now they, um, they did some tests, but they have to wait for further testing her and then get the, the experts together to see what to do about that. Yes, please Emily. Please, would you? observing yeah okay thank you Emily let's would somebody be willing to pray for Meredith and her family and just for this this tumor in her in her brain right now please rich okay thanks any any other prayer needs this morning that we can share and pray together okay rich you got it please pray and Yeah, Father, we read in Titus 3 about your mercy. It is by your mercy that you saved us, your love and your mercy. I pray, God, for mercy for Meredith, that you would um, just show kindness to her. And like Rich said, Lord, we know that you're in control. You've got greater purposes than we know or understand. But we're asking, Father, that your great purpose here would be to show your might, show your power by having mercy on her. And like Rich said, Lord, please shrink that tumor help her with the side effects give her mom and dad wisdom as they um, and give them peace I know they love you and know you please help them to navigate this time father the the rest of us here and, and people that we know we all have issues we all have problems and we we look to you father for relief for help for answers and like Rich said Lord our our answer is Jesus Christ for salvation that's our greatest need that spiritual need. so we we pray for our friends today, our neighbors, our co-workers, family members, that you would draw the lost to Jesus. Um, if there's any today, Father, that if we here don't know Jesus, that you would draw us to Jesus, uh, that you would grow us in Jesus, Father, so that we can be people who know you, follow you, serve you, and, o- and obey you. And as we look to your word now, God, we ask you to speak to us. Uh, this is your word. These are supernatural, holy words from you. I pray that my words would not in any way muddy what your word has to say, but instead would help us to understand what you have to say and what you what you want us to do on this planet, Father, as we get ready for the other side, get ready for eternity, and bring as many people with us as we can, Father. So use us today to grow us, to mature us, and to bring great honor to you. We praise you and thank you, Father, through Jesus. Amen. Uh, There's an outline inside your program if you want to use that to follow along with. Uh, If you were here last week or watched last week, uh, we looked at Jesus like we like to do a lot. And we looked at the final 15 months of his ministry. Remember, we said that his ministry was about 42 months, about three and a half years long. And what did he do with those final 15 months? And we saw and we said that Jesus invested in people. We saw that people are treasured by Jesus and that we can receive treasure in heaven, rewards in heaven, by investing in people like Jesus did. That's the most precious commodity. It's people week. We're going to go back in time about 10 months from where we were last week. And we're going to look at an event 10 months earlier to see how did Jesus invest in lost people, specifically lost people. We are all born in this world spiritually lost and Jesus invested in people by his mercy we read in Titus chapter 3 he invested in us revealed himself to us as we talk about investing in lost people we're going to look at the power of the testimony a person's testimony so as we invest in lost people we have a story a testimony to tell and we're going to see in John chapter 4 how Jesus did that and how somebody was impacted and people were impacted by that now before we go to John chapter 4 let's set that up with John chapter 3 verse 23 which says now John now which John is this is this the guy who wrote the book of John or this is John, this is John the Baptist here now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim has anybody ever heard of Anon near Salim this is this not referenced any place else except right here in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, he was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. So here's this little podunk out of nowhere, Anon near Salim, only mentioned here. But people are coming there, there's water to baptize, and so people are coming from all the surrounding areas. Well, let's look at a map and orient ourselves a little bit. Here's Anon near Salim. We're in the country of Israel. It's Galilee to the north, Judea to the south, and that's where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are. Anon near Salim is in the middle, in the region of Samaria. So you've got Galilee, Samaria, and then Judea to the south. Let's orient ourselves for the rest of the story. We're going to pick up with Jesus. He's in Judea to the south. He's going to go to Galilee in the north. Now, Judea to Galilee is about 94 miles as the crow flies. To travel, it's about 120 miles, because the normal travel route is, you can see the topography here, it's, it's mountains. So you would walk down the mountain to the river valley, the Jordan River Valley, and then you would walk on the flat ground. Rather than going up and down, up and down, up and down over the mountains, which is a lot more tiring, a lot more time, down to the river valley, flat ground, and then you get to your destination that's the normal route that people would take at that time but we're gonna see that Jesus is gonna go from Judea to Galilee through Samaria doesn't make much sense because of the travel route is more difficult and it also doesn't make much sense because if you go through Samaria you're gonna encounter Samaritans Now, maybe you've heard before that the Samaritan people were looked down upon by the Jewish people and that's true They did not want to go through Samaria because the Samaritans were second-class citizens. Why were they second-class citizens? Well, this took place in, I think, about January of 28 AD. If you go back 750 years to 722 BC, the Israelites living in this region were under attack by the Assyrians. The Assyrians conquered them and took people into exile. They took the brightest and the best, the professionals, the wealthy, into exiles. But they left in Samaria the crooks, the thieves, the lowest rung of society. And then all the other regions that the Assyrians conquered, they transported all of their lowest of society to Samaria. And then for decades, the Jews that were left over, these people from other countries that were left over, They intermarried, started families, and so the rest of the Jewish people looked down upon them. They saw them as a different race and that their race was inferior to their race, racism going on there. So they wouldn't go through there to come in contact with them. So in our story, we're going to see Jesus go through Samaria, going to be in Sychar, and Sychar is about 15 miles from Anon near Salim. Keep that up here for a minute because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. we oriented let's start reading in John chapter 4 the Pharisees heard that they were religious leaders they heard that Jesus was gathering and baptizing more disciples than John at this time thousands of people were coming to John Jesus is starting to get a little group of guys he was baptizing more disciples than John John's baptism is he was baptizing people to repent of sin prepare them for Jesus Jesus baptism was disciples he was baptizing disciples Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples were baptizing. He was involving them, training them how to do ministry. In a couple weeks, we're going to take a deeper look at that. Verse 3, when the Lord learned of this, that the the Pharisees were talking, he left Judea to the south, and he went back once more to Galilee to the north. Now, he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to because they normally didn't. What does this mean that he had to? Well, in John chapter 5, John chapter 8, John chapter 12, Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. So if we connect those dots, the Father was telling him, you've got to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Remember that on our map? Near a plot of ground that Jacob had given his son. Now we're going to take a look at this Sychar. Here's Sychar. We're to the east of that. To the south is Mount Gerizim, We're going to talk about that in a little bit. To the north is called Mount Ebal. And then down in the middle is Sychar. And in the middle of that little town is a place called Jacob's Well. Verse 6, Jacob's Well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, remember up and down those mountains, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. What's the sixth hour? That's noon. First hour of the Jewish day is 6 in the morning. It's noon, high noon, the heat of the day. He's at the well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus asked her, "Will you give me a drink?" Now this was weird because it's noon. The women of the town would come to the water, come to the well early in the morning before the heat of the day. And they would draw water from that well. That well is 135 feet deep. So if you could imagine lowering a bucket down to that water, pulling that bucket up, and I don't know if they had a hand crank or what they did, 135 feet, filling up their water jars. So they would be there for hours. What would these women do? they talk about their life, the gossip of the day, whatever's going on. Why wasn't this woman there in the morning? Why did she come at noon? We're going to see a little bit later, it's because she was unwelcome in the morning. Uh, this woman was commonly known as the town Whore, if I can say that word that's what they would have considered as she was not welcome with them we're going to see later that she had been married and divorced married and divorced married and multiple times and people looked down on her now people already looked down on the Samaritan people they were second class women in that culture were looked down upon even more they were third class this woman would have been looked down on as fourth class She came to the well. Jesus knew, having grown up in that culture, why she was there at noon. She wasn't welcome with the other woman. But he still reached out to her and engaged her. And he said, will you give me a drink? Because the disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now what we're going to do is we're going to see this interaction between this gal and Jesus. And this woman is going to look at life from a physical point of view. And Jesus is going to try to turn that conversation to a spiritual point of view. Jesus is going to use some physical realities to communicate a spiritual truth to help her to see and understand and respond to the gospel. Let's watch and see how this takes place. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because I'm third class. Little did Jesus know that everybody else considered her fourth class. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, he's talking about himself. The gift of God is Jesus, the Savior that we sang about. And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She started talking about physical things, physical water. He brings up spiritual things, living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, 135 feet. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? She's talking about the physical water there. She mentions living water, but what did she mean by that? At this time in history, there was two different types of water. There's living water and there's dead water. There's two types of living water. There's living water that flows above ground. We call them rivers. There was a lot of that near Anon, near Salim, and in that Jordan River. Living water above ground. There's also living water that flows underground. That's a spring or a well. That water is moving. It's fresh. It's refreshing and good to drink. There's also dead water. Dead water is water that's still. In that country, they have a rainy season and a dry season. The rainy season goes from the end of October to mid-April, and it rains. But then once you get to mid-April until the next October, no rain at all. So how do you water your crops in the summer? In the summertime, you plant dates, figs, and olives. They need water. Where do you get the water from? Well, they capture the water in a cistern during the rainy season so that they have it for the dry season. Now, the water in the cistern is dry, dead water. It can be musty. It could be stagnant. It could have bugs and things, which is fine for the plants, but not for human consumption, risk of disease with that. So she wants this living water, this physical living water that Jesus, she thought, was talking about. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water, physical water right here in the well, will be thirsty again, even if it's living, even if it's dead. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him, he's talking about spiritual things, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's turning her physical observations into spiritual realities. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's not getting it. She's still thinking physical water. Jesus shifts the conversation a little bit because she's not getting it. He says, Hey, you know what? Go and call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Uh, Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now, you now have, is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. This spiritual conversation gets to some bad news, the reality of sin. We're going to see Jesus explain to her the good news, but the good news really doesn't, uh, co- it doesn't uh, compute unless there's a context of the bad news. There's real bad news here. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Now she's starting to talk about spiritual things. Then she said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Do you remember the picture of the mountains? Mount Gerizim to the south, that's where they worshipped. Our, our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews, you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she was confronted with her sin, and then she deflected it to sound spiritual about worshiping on this mountain. And isn't that what we can do? We can, um, we can address and try to be spiritual without repenting of our sin, which is not Jesus' way of doing things, but that's our sort of human way of, you know, I can be spiritual without addressing my sin, which is what she tried to do, but Jesus didn't stop there. Verse 21, Jesus declared, believe me woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What's he talking about? We can worship him anywhere and everywhere because of the Holy Spirit in us and Jesus Christ is our Savior. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's starting to crack open the window of the gospel here pointing to himself because he's Jewish and salvation is going to come through him. Yet a time is coming and has now come right now I'm here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth and we'll explain that more at a later day for these are the kinds of worshipers that the father seeks. The father is looking for worshipers and he's telling you, you know what People around here consider you a fourth-class citizen, but the Father is seeking people just like you. Everybody, no matter what class that the society and the culture puts them in, God is seeking people like you to make you into a worshiper of him. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, well, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. She's trying to be spiritual again. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, guess what? I, who speak to you, am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm right here. That's the gospel. Just then, his disciples return, and they're surprised to see him talking to a woman. Because, remember, women would have been second class in Jewish society, third class if you were Jewish looking at Samaritan, and at the heat of the day, fourth class. But no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Verse 28, Then then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now she's starting to share the gospel. They came out of the town, and they made their way towards him. Remember that statement. They're starting this crowd. is coming out of town, making their way to Jesus at the well. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Because remember, he was tired. They went and got food. But he said to them, hey, guess what? I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said, could someone have brought him some food? They're thinking about physical things, and he's talking about spiritual things. He said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, which is what he had just been doing. The will of the Father for Jesus is to seek and to save that which is lost, to die on the cross for sinners like you and me and this woman so that we could be saved. So Jesus was satisfied spiritually by doing ministry and sharing the gospel. That brought a deep sense of satisfaction that physical food could not have brought him. Verse 35, then he said, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? So this is about January, because in four months, the spring harvest would arrive. He said, Do you say four months more than the harvest? Physical things? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, They're ripe for the harvest, spiritual things, because the crowds of people were coming out of the town towards them. There's the fields. There's the spiritual harvest. They're coming here. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. Spiritual things, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one reaps, or one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the labor or the benefits of the labor. What's Jesus talking about here? This seems like a hard left turn, doesn't it? He's talking about eternal life, and he's satisfied. He had just shared the gospel with this woman. Now he's talking about reapers and sowers working together, and you're, you're about to, to reap the hard Someone else did the hard work. What's he talking about? So remember back to John 3.23. Remember, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salim, about 15 miles from Sychar. And great multitudes were coming from everywhere to be baptized by John. What was John's baptism? Preparing the way for Jesus, a baptism of repentance. Turn from your sins. Be aware of your sins. The Savior is here. If we were to back up to John chapter 1, verses 35, 36, 37, John the Baptist testified to some of his disciples, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God. Testifying that Jesus was the Messiah. And I wonder if John was giving that same message at Anon near Salim. So he had done some of the sowing already, and now the people were coming out to the disciples, and they were ready to reap the harvest of what John had already sown. You know, we believe in personal evangelism, sharing the gospel with our friends, investing in people who are lost personally. but We also believe in doing that together. When we do our clothe the kid ministry, that's us doing it together. Uh, About 15, 16 months ago, uh, Julio invited his friend Dante and invested in Dante. Dante came to church on Easter and then Doug from our church, led him to Christ. Somebody did the hard work of the sowing. Somebody else did the reaping. We do that together. We do it personally. We do it together. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans came from that town uh, they believed. They believed in Jesus. Why? Because of the woman's testimony, the power of somebody's testimony. Many believed in Jesus because of her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. So he stayed two days. And because of his words, Jesus' words, many more became Believers. So many believed because of her testimony. Many more believed because of his words, God's word. What Jesus spoke is the word of God. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior. He's the Savior of the world, even for us second-class citizens, third-class citizens, fourth-class citizens. And I say that meaning that that's the way the world looks at people. God looks at everybody through one lens, that everybody is valuable, no matter what anybody else says about you, no matter what's ever been done to you, no matter mistakes you have made in the past and make you make, maybe make yourself feel like you're a lower class. God doesn't look at you that way. He is seeking worshipers, no matter what class you're from, that worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus modeled investing in lost people. And we're going to look at his way of doing it, his effective way. Now, there's, there's other ways that people invest in lost people. If you're, Maybe you're, you've been a, around for a while. The common way of, of sharing the gospel decades ago was you go knock on doors and say to somebody, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Uh, that doesn't work. The Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses do that and drives people nuts. I would advise against doing that. You can see old videos of people standing on a box or a crate in the city with a megaphone or a bullhorn telling people, turn or burn, repent. That's very ineffective. Or I know a guy who said, I share the gospel 50 times a week, and I said, that's amazing. How do you do that? Well, When I go to fill up gas at a gas station, you know how they have those credit card insert things at the pump? I go to every pump, and I put a gospel booklet in every single pump. I'm like, you're just irritating people. You're not sharing the gospel with anybody. They're just going to throw that stupid thing out. How did Jesus invest in people? We're going to look at how he did, and we think this is effective to follow his model. First of all, look for people that God wants you to invest in. We're going to look at three L words. The first one is look. Look for people who God wants you to invest in. Remember in verse 4, God led Jesus through Samaria. This was not normal. This was God's design, him leading Jesus to invest in and encounter people in Samaria. Verse 6 Jesus sat at a well. Why would he sit there? Well it's the town center. It's the social gathering place. That's where you're going to meet people. So I'm going to sit here and just ask the Father, okay you told me to go through Samaria who do you want me to invest in? Who is it that his eyes are open? He's looking. Uh, Oftentimes uh, when I'm in an airport or on an airplane I say okay Lord if you want me to talk to somebody bring someone here. Who do you want me to talk to? Whose life are you already at work in? I've coached Little League. Chuck has coached Little League. And there's times I've drafted players on my team. I'm like, Lord, I don't know who these players are. Uh, Help me to pick people that your hand is upon, that you're at work in, so I can join you in, in reaching people with the gospel. My eyes are open, looking for. In verse 31, he told his disciples, open your eyes and look at the fields. Look at these people. When we look at people and look for people, think of two different things. First of all, look at people the way God looks at people. He doesn't look at people by their skin color, by their political affinity, um, by their socioeconomic class. God looks at every single person as loved and lost. They're loved by God deeply, but we're spiritually lost because of our own sinful nature that we're born into, born spiritually lost. We don't look at people as they're wrong or they're stupid, or that they're the enemy. In fact, everybody who's born is born into captivity of the enemy. Satan's the enemy. And people are blind and deceived and captive and and lost, but deeply loved by God. So look at people the way God does. And then also keep looking around for who has God brought into my life, my family members. You were born into your family not by accident not by random chance. God puts you in your family. And I would bet every single one of us has some family member, whether close or distant, that does not know Christ. Your friends, your neighbors, you might have thought, oh, I bought this house, it was my choice. Yeah, partially, but God directed it. God provided for that. God puts you by your neighbors because he wants you to reach out for your neighbors. Open your eyes and look at your neighbors, your classmates in school, your coworkers. When you travel, ask God, keep your eyes open. Who do you want me to invest in? Second L word is to love. Look for people and then love people where they are at. In verses 4 through 7, when Jesus went to Samaria, went to the well, the woman, remember, was an outcast. Jesus knew that she was an adulteress, but he showed her love. He gave her the true value, revealed the true value that she had, in God's eyes. Now, in our world today, people who call themselves Christians have a reputation of being condemning and judgmental, don't we? That's, that's just the world's perspective. That's the reputation. Well, Jesus had a reputation of being patient and being kind and being loving. Now, he was not approving of sin, remember, because he brought that up to her. He doesn't turn a blind eye to it and say, Oh, you made some mistakes. It is sin. But he lovingly provided and pointed out the solution to that sin. That's forgiveness through Christ alone. So, how do we lovingly invest in people? How do we do that? Um, Start off by by serving people. How can I serve somebody? When we do our Clothe a Kid ministry, we want to serve people, and we gladly serve people with a smile with the Chick-fil-A of it's my pleasure to serve you and looking for ways that I can serve people. Uh, if, if a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker uh, has a death in the family, to send a card. Or if a baby is born, to make a meal and take a meal over to them. How can I serve people? Um, we, we love living out in the country. We love that. When we lived in our neighborhood, the one thing that we miss from living there is um, – trick-or-treat. Halloween. Because uh, when we did trick-or-treat, we would go and we would buy those those big candy bars. Not the, We didn't put a lifesaver in their bag. They got the Snickers, they got the Kit Kat, whatever it was. That's what you're getting in your bag. Plus, we had our fire pit out in the driveway so people could come and get warm at the end of October, beginning of November. We also had our grill out there making hot dogs for moms and dads and giving the hot dogs away. We had a five-gallon of Hot chocolate out there so the kids could have something. So we're trying to serve our neighbors, serve our neighborhood as a way of loving people wherever they were at. Not looking to condemn or point fingers or make people feel bad, but to, we don't ignore sin, but we start off by loving people the way that Jesus did where they were at. So. Uh, serve people. Show hospitality. Have people over to your home. And if you say, well, my home's too small. We can't fit enough people in. Invite people out to McDonald's or Dairy Queen. Go someplace together. Show that hospitality. Encourage people. That's a way of loving. I w- I've seen Chuck Strausser coach baseball. I've seen my son Drew coach basketball. And they're always encouraging these kids. Even when they make mistakes, they they correct them in a way that's encouraging to them. That shows Jesus Jesus love. Um, do things together with people. At one point in time, very long ago, I used to get my hair cut. I would go to this guy named Mark. He was my hair cutter. He owned his hair cutting shop, and then he sold the place. And I'm like, I don't need to get. It. I can cut my own hair now. That's when I started cutting my own hair. But I started going to Mark because I'd played some sports with him. He didn't know Christ, so I wanted to spend time with him. So I would go get my hair cut from him. When he sold his shop, that's when I started playing golf. Wasn't very good, still not very good. I enjoy it, but he's really good, and he enjoys it. So I started going to play with him, spending time with him. That's how we love people where they are, where they're at. So we, we look for people. We love people. And then the other L word is we ask people questions about life. Jesus started off by asking some questions about life. He started with physical water, and then he turned the conversation to spiritual water. Remember, he didn't begin by just preaching to her or proclamation or in any way condemning it all. He began in verse 7 just by asking for a drink of water. What kind of questions can you and I ask to start this conversation, to start investing in lost people? We can start off by just telling people, hey, tell me your story. Tell me about your life. And there's three F words, good F words, that can help you ask these questions. Ask people where they're from. Tell me, where are you from? Did you grow up here? Where did you grow up? Where are you from? Tell me about where you've been in life. Ask about where they're from. Ask them about their family. Tell me about your family. Uh, you married, divorced, you got kids. What, you got any siblings? Tell me about your family. So where are you from? Who's your family? And the other F word is your favorites. Tell me about your favorite things to do. What are your hobbies? Tell me about your job. What's your favorite music? What's your favorite movies? Ask people their story. Tell me about your life, Uh, where you're from, your family, your favorites. And as you ask those questions, be a good listener. Don't interrupt. Don't interject. Just communicate love and value by listening. So we look, we love, we listen like Jesus. And then we're going to begin three S words. First, ask questions about spiritual things. After you ask questions about life, ask questions about spiritual things. In verse 10, Jesus brought up God, the Father, and living water. And then in verses 13 and 14, he went from living water to eternal life. He mentioned eternal life. So rather than telling your lost friend what they should believe, ask them what they do believe. Ask questions. Ask spiritual questions. For instance, ask somebody, what are your beliefs about God? That's non-threatening. Just tell me, what are your beliefs about God? Ask um Do you ever think about spiritual things? I have a friend who lives in Idaho, and every time he would go to a store, whether it's a grocery store, hardware store, convenience store, he would always avoid the self-checkout lines and go through a person checkout line. And every time he would ask them as they were ringing up his his items, hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Just that simple question. Every time, just to ask the question, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Do you ever think about spiritual things? Ask the question, What do you think heaven is like? Just let somebody answer. Do you ever think about heaven? What do you think it's like in heaven? Ask the question, well, who gets into heaven and who doesn't? How do you get into heaven anyway? Does everybody go? Who Who decides who goes and who doesn't? Ask the question, have you ever gone to church? Do you have any church background, church experience? And then you can ask after that is, Why do you think most people don't go to church? Just listen. What's people's opinion? You can help understand and you show love by asking and listening. And just listen. Don't try to correct them. Don't try to defend anything else. Just listen. And then after asking and listening, then it's time to share your story about life. You've listened to their story about life and some spiritual things. Now share about your life. spiritual things and this is called your testimony that woman had a testimony and many people believed in verse 39 because of her testimony when she shared the story and they already knew her life when she shared how God had interjected and intervened in her life how do you transition from their beliefs to your beliefs how do you do that ask another simple question hey, do you mind if I share my story with you? I love your story. Thanks for sharing your story with me. Can I share my story with you? And can I share my beliefs with you? You're asking for permission politely. And then your testimony. And we're going to look more about this next week, more details next week. But my testimony is simply my life and my background, where I'm from, what are my favorites, what is my family, my life and background. But then I also share how I met Jesus and put my faith in Jesus to be my Savior, to forgive my sins, and give me eternal life. And then I share, what's my life like now? How has God been involved in my life right now? And like I said, we're going to share more about that, more details, and work on that next week together. So as you're sharing your story and your testimony, it's really important, really important to share scriptures about the gospel. And verses 41 and 42 uh, says that many believe because of the woman and her testimony. Many more believe because of the words of Jesus. and That's God's words. That's scripture. So when I ask people about their spiritual beliefs, this is what I'll do. After they tell me what they believe about God, about heaven, uh, about church, those things, I'll say, hey, do you mind if I ask you, where did you get those ideas from? Where did you form your beliefs? Was it from a book that you read? Was it from your parents? Did you learn that from a teacher or a college or school somewhere? Or are these just your own thoughts? Have you thought about things? Where did, where did you get those ideas from, if you don't mind me asking? And then I ask, hey, do you, do you mind if I share with you, not what I think, but I'll say, do you mind if I share with you what the Bible says about God? Or do you mind if I share with you what the Bible says about heaven or about salvation? and we're gonna look again more next week at how to do that but it's important it's very important to include scripture when I share my story why is it important well Hebrews 4 12 says that God's Word is living and active God's Word is supernatural my words and my story can be powerful but God's Word is supernatural it's alive it's active it can penetrate to people to their heart to their soul gospel. Isaiah 55 11 says that uh, God's word will accomplish God's purposes. So we want to share scriptures. God's word is supernatural. It is more power, powerful than our words. What are some scriptures we can use? Let me just share a few of those today. Romans six twenty-three. When I share my testimony or when I draw out an illustration to communicate the gospel, you know, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel in one verse. Romans 10:9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. Believing in Christ. 1 Peter 3:18. I love this. Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That's a great verse to share in my story. You've heard this one, maybe. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. And I love John 5.24, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. If we can, Why do you think we memorize a verse every week here at church? So we want God's word in our heart so it can come out in our mouth to people when we have to when we get a chance to share it. Now remember friends, our purpose in life as followers of Christ is to invest in people like Jesus did. It results in treasure in heaven for us and it results in lost people being saved on earth, preparing them for heaven. That's our purpose. That's what we're about. Well, how did Jesus do it? by looking, by loving, by listening to the Father, by asking questions about life, and then by sharing spiritual things, sharing our story with people and making sure that we include God's powerful word. We include scripture in that. Again, next week we're going to prepare more for how can we continue to be people who invest in other people and share that gospel. This week, memorize that John 4.35. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. That's a good verse. And then this week, read Acts 23, 24, 25, 26. And notice, Paul shares his story, the gospel, while on trial. Especially in chapter 26, you're going to see his whole testimony there. And begin thinking this week about how do I write out my testimony? Because when we, on the 15th of August, when we prepare for our clothe kid, we're going to work on that so we can include that and give it to people. We want to be able to share our story with other people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this day. Thank you today for your word. I pray that, that it, it is powerful. It is effective. And I pray that it's changed us and challenged us today. pray that each one of us, Father, would be your ambassadors. We would be your mouthpieces. We would be people who testify and give testimony of what you've done in our life. Thank you for this story of this woman. Thank you, Lord, that that you look to and seek and choose some of the most unlikely people, Father, the people that the world turns their back on and looks down upon, you love and you reach out to. And Thank you for doing that for us, and use us, Father, to do it for other people. Uh, Use us this week, Father. Bring us people in our lives that we can share your good news with. Pray that, Lord, would become a habit and a lifestyle for us as your disciples. Thank you, Father, for your word. We praise you through Jesus. Amen. All right, it's great to have you here today. Look forward to seeing you next week. I'm sorry that I've got a bolt, but please stick around as long as you can.